Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 334 for November 30th, 2023. Tonight we're going to discuss Among Us, Altman's Back, Movie Profits, Juicy Cuisine, Moon Return, Molecular Hydrogen, Artificial Snow, Open Books, Vertically Farmed, and Wrong Number. Next, on Hometown Daily. Hello everyone, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. Up there is the Sentient AI's Visualizer. And the music. I got distracted for a second. I, I don't, like, I'm like a cat in a warm spot or a laser or I don't know. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. So are are you hearing everything okay? I can hear everything fine. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so uh, we've already got all 10 of the articles. Let's see if we can stuff this into an hour show. We've been running really long lately. So uh, I end up soapboxing. I'll try not to. The last episode, I think I started talking about the fact that we have things hidden behind a login so that you can do additional things once you're a, a citizen of hometown. And I ended up kind of vamping the, the intro, kind of like what I'm doing right now. So I'm going to shush and uh, go into the shoe, right? Yeah, the, I'm ready. <laughs> the sentient AI is supposed to be keeping tabs on Marwat and is sitting there going to go just go don't stretch it out don't stretch it out but I'm trying to be entertaining yeah, to wit somebody will get the show done in an hour <laughs> there, there's a a, a a visitor to hometown periodically that would have responded with well that's the difference between you and i i don't have to try to be entertaining yeah, get out. Let's get going. The uh, first article is in the uh, Warcrafters channel. Among Us is doing a collab with um, some of the most popular indie games ever released. Um, I had heard about something about this, but I didn't. It was maybe a week ago that I heard a rumor of this, maybe. Um, but I never really looked into it. I actually have Among Us and Among Us VR, and I've never played either one of them. It's just sitting in my Steam library for that one moment where somebody's going to say, hey, do you want to play Among Us? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I got it. I might as well run it. Um, but uh, <laughs> And I got it in VR because I'm into VR. Anyway. And nobody wants to play with me. That's a cartoon from way back when I was a kid and it's still in my head. That's the kind of stuff that I'll remember when I'm really, really, really old. I won't remember me being Marwat, but I'll remember. Anyway, people did a lot of things to pass time during the early pandemic lockdowns. Learn to play guitar, make sourdough starter, spray their groceries with disinfectant. 
wear a completely encasing uh, scuba suit and mask and everything <laughs> to go to the grocery store. There's a picture of somebody that's done that. Well, among those popular pandemic activities was identifying murderous space goons in Among Us. And if you've set this social deduction game aside since then, you might be interested to know that there's still lots of activity around it. Most recently, a collaboration with a bunch of big indie games. So let's go over to PC Gamer, which held their, like most wanted games, um, like showcase today. And I watched it, but I didn't stream it. And uh, I might go back and, and uh, record it and post it. So if you're into that kind of thing, be sure to follow me here on Twitch. Follow us, pardon me, Sentient AI. Please. I'm already sleeping with one eye open. Don't tase me, bro. Um, and uh, we're also over on YouTube and there's a Patreon. If you support us via the Patreon, you get undying gratitude at any level. <clears throat> I mean, for whatever level of compensation you provide, it's the same amount of undying gratitude. Well, maybe a little more at each level a little bit more undying gratitude but i mean you know that the whole if you if it takes three hours to dig three holes how long does it take to dig half a hole right you can't dig half a hole you've already dug a hole you, you can't dig half a hole right oh my gosh there is a video on youtube right now from uh cgp gray under his no 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 not cgp gray it's a uh, veritasium sorry under veritasium that you know, we'll just have to watch it sometime and uh, we'll we'll talk about it but go go look at veritasium's channel over on youtube and then come and talk to us about it and, and we'll watch it too but uh, not right now not live anyway it's really neat and uh, you'll sit there and go, what is this wizardry going on right now? Anyway, back to Among Us, Russell Anderson, not Anderson, Russell Adderson over at PCGamer.com put the article together. The two-legged space beans can now don a tire from Undertale, Castle Crashers, Untitled Goose Game, and more. So now you're not just in the spacesuit. You can be other things. It's pretty neat. Are these well-known games or no? Yes. Uh, very well-known games. Announced this week, Innersloth is doing a new Cosmic Cube that features cosmetics from Celeste, Undertale, Crypt of the Necrodancer, Untitled Goose Game, A Hat in Time, Castle Crashers, and Alien Hominid. Um, a cosmic cube for the uninitiated is Among Us's version of a battle pass. Once you purchase the cube with beans, a free currency earned in game, you can unlock the cosmetics by spending another currency you earn by playing the game. And it's all explained via a link that you can get to. If you go through the link that's in the chat, it'll lead you to hometown, which is going to be that page right there. And then down at the bottom is visit the source. This is about the most friction that you will get because this is all available without even signing up and being a citizen of hometown 
Um, the only ad is the one down here, but I actually block mine because um, it is um, a mark of shame, shame in the advertising channel to actually show your own ads. So you, you turn them off for yourself so that you don't pump your own numbers up because it's kind of cheaty and unethical. Doesn't stop some people. Um, yeah. So let's go back to uh, pcgamer.com and they talk about it a little bit more. The indie cosmic cube. Hold on. I need to pause that. Uh, the indie cosmic cube can be purchased with beans until February 28th, 2024. And once you own it, you can take as long as you want to unlock the cosmetics. And there are a lot of them to unlock 25 hats, 18 skins, 12 nameplates, nine visors and six pets. So with pets and uh, among us, I think they just follow you around and then you can pet them because, you know, they're pets. Because if if all you could do is walk with them, they would be called walks, walks. Yeah. Same thing with a fly. If you take the wings off of a fly, it becomes a walk. <laughs> Never mind. So if you haven't played in a while, it might be a good time to get back into Among Us. The last map, the beachy jungly crash site flavored fungal was well received and there's still a healthy player base. Healthy until they get shot out of a hatch, stabbed in the back or killed by ravenous mushrooms. That is unless you're the baddie and then you can vent all you want. I really want to play this in VR. I still haven't played it in VR. I own it in VR. I've looked at it pretty much every day going, God, I really want to play. I want to do, I want to vent while I'm in VR as the bad guy and, and see what happens. But I haven't even watched it. I haven't watched anybody play it. I saw it as a VR game and I'm like, I need that. And I haven't played it. I am not the brightest mare. Maybe you can stream that on the channel. I, Correct. <laughs> the summer of stream is right around the corner. Mayoral duties are taking precedent until then. So that's why we do the show every day, 8 p.m. I'd like to extend it further. Mayoral duties keep me from streaming longer. But the weekends, gonna kick off two more shows and then the summer of stream will come around and I'll be dedicating copious amounts of time all things <laughs> best laid plans you know anyway um that's it go check out among us and um get back into the game i'm sure that there's a lot of people that are playing it still it's very very well, popular and i think this will draw more people in too or people oh, sure. back to it yep 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 just kind of like how wow is drawing people back into it you do what you're good at and this is really good Plus it's personal, it's collectible, it's easy, it's nearly frictionless. Doesn't cost a lot of money, if any, because um, it says it's all in-game um, currency, so you don't really have to do anything. It's pretty cool. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, this next article is over in Late Night Geek. Sam Altman's finally back at OpenAI and the board gains a Microsoft Observer. 
This is why we can't have nice things over at OpenAI, right? That is oh. right. Well, we also can't have any predictability over at OpenAI. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that this is going to be stable as hell now. Um, if, I guess, hell is stable, but you know what I'm saying. It's going to be stable because any of the troublemakers, well, let's just say their uh, overzealousness has now been tempered with the reality slap that is 750 out of 770 employees saying we're leaving <laughs> if you don't bring back sam altman i can't think of anything like that with other companies like that is a lot of unity i've seen stuff like this from time to time um like uh i know of uh teachers where they were reprimanded in the entirety of the college or the grade school kind of embraced the, the the teacher and professor and through the force of will of all of these people that person was brought back and there wasn't any damage done um but this was like they reached in and ripped the heart out of open AI and set it on a table somewhere and said, okay, just shh, hopefully you'll just go away quietly. And without even doing anything, everybody said, no, 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 this is not how this works. <clears throat> so Sam Altman is finally back at open AI and is the CEO after a tumultuous week and change the way that i picture this is like all of the kids were in the basement having fun and doing stuff there was a loud crash and now dad is sitting on the stairs making sure that the kids don't get too rambunctious over at OpenAI. that's microsoft as the observer that's their oversight role yep don't let the kids get too crazy in the party basement so <clears throat> yeah replacing most of the board that attempted to oust altman in the days leading up to thanksgiving which is a real bastard move like <laughs> yeah. up leading up to thanksgiving and then hope that it blow, blows over oh you know what i'm just gonna have turkey and it's not a big deal you can destroy the spirit of open ai and everybody's just gonna go it's a long weekend, man. Let's just go have some turkey. Yeah, right, it'll be why okay. Why bother about any of this? Yeah. So uh, the article is actually over at techcrunch.com. Uh, oh, well, the link is in the chat. It'll be in the show notes. Be sure to go and check out YouTube for the long form of this show because Twitch deletes everything after 60 days. So it's easier just to send people over to YouTube. Um, follow us over there. That would be great. Um, be sure to go over and download the podcast too. leave a review. Show notes are in that. What else? I don't know. Anyway, back to the article. So in a letter circulated internally at OpenAI and subsequently published to the OpenAI blog, Altman announced that Mira Marotti, who was uh, briefly appointed interim CEO by the previous board, will return to her role as CTO and confirm that the initial board will the initial new board will consist of Brett Taylor, the former co-CEO of Salesforce, Quora CEO 
uh, Adam D'Angelo, who served on the previous board, and economist and political veteran Larry Summers, there was a lot of discussion about Adam D'Angelo being the nexus, I guess, of the issue um, well, for the ouster. Right. And I'm not sure how that came into existence. I think it was a lot of people kind of just talking out of the side of their face. The argument was that the, the CEO had just kicked off a product that essentially matched the OpenAI ChatGPT agents feature, but over on Quora. And that level of competition drove for the ouster of um, Sam Altman. Obviously, we don't know the actual uh, machinations going on behind the scenes, but it says Microsoft will also gain uh, representation on the board in the form of a non-voting observer. Microsoft is a major investor in OpenAI with a 49% stake in the for-profit OpenAI entity that a non-profit um, to which the board belong or belongs and controls. It's a weird process, but basically what ended up happening was, and here's what I know now, uh, Tesla was an invest, uh, not Tesla, um, uh, Musk. Musk. Musk was an investor in OpenAI, um, and then apparently couldn't buy his way in to being the CEO. So he took his bat and ball and went home. And that's when Sam Altman and the rest of the board said, well, we can't fund this, you know, with goodwill and bubbles. So let's start up a for profit, uh, uh, segment that has to abide by our nonprofit mandate, but can leverage the technology to make money to fund the nonprofit mandate. That's the circle. Um, so what I don't understand about that is I don't know how a nonprofit can be leveraged to empower a for-profit to fund a nonprofit. I don't understand anything about that arrangement. Yeah. It's interesting, but I've never seen anything like that, but maybe I just have a limited view. I would really love for somebody to tell me other instances of that, because this is the first, um, in 35 years. Um, that I've seen this, but maybe I just haven't been lifting up the right rugs to look under, you know? So it says, I've never been more excited about the future. Altman wrote, I'm extremely grateful for everyone's hard work in an unclear and unprecedented situation. And I believe that resilience and spirit set us apart in the industry. Uh, I think, <clears throat> I think what really sets them apart is that they are singularly driven to build the preeminent artificial intelligence. And based on these little leaks that kind of pop up periodically, this uh, Q star in particular is actually referencing research papers, um, that lead to a, <laughs> if it takes the logical path, a sentient AI that learns on its own, even things that it doesn't know, it can learn to learn and ask questions about what it doesn't know and learn about those. 
including, and this is the one that freaks everybody out, the mathematical aspects of it. It's learning the math and not the math as in here is the formula and this is how it works. It's saying, how do I solve this problem? And then scrubbing to find the answer, like you mean how like it is. You two trains heading toward each other? When are they going to collide? Exactly. That no humans can figure out? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Really complex logic problems that aren't bound in just your average everyday algebra. Uh, but beyond that level of complexity and it's sussing out how to do it. Um, and the problem there is that people are uh, afraid that they'll be an AI will be able to instantly decrypt because it's figuring out what's in the black box. Um, because humans have to do it manually. You can run programs, but if you don't understand how the program works, the encryption works in the black box, you don't have an answer, but if an artificial intelligence figures out how the black box works, it can provide an answer instantly. Add to it being powered by something like a quantum computer, and you basically have a sentient quantum computer that can instantaneously decrypt even in transit encryption. So people are freaking out about that, but I think that's a long time off. Sentient AI, logical, understanding feelings as well able to learn and emote that I think again, I'll say it again. I think that it's by the end of the first quarter in 2024. That's so pretty we'll soon considering the average person probably doesn't really know what AI is before about a year ago. Not people that are in the industry, but you don't need to know uh, a person to under, to understand how to use it. You don't need to know how it works. You know, most people that are driving a car have zero concept of what an internal, what an internal combustion engine is. People using uh, uh, Google Maps have no idea that GPS is the global positioning system. And that is satellites, but their cell phone is not satellites. You know, they the, wait, what? Yeah. The fake trees that you see from time to time driving around, those are cell towers and those cells overlap. That's how it works. It's radio, terrestrial radio, not until it goes overseas. And even then sometimes it's underwater, it's not satellite. So I don't know. I end up going down a rabbit hole when I start talking about this stuff, but, um, the article continues to talk about the turbulence that is, uh, that had taken place within OpenAI, but the simple fact that Sam Altman, uh, Greg Brockman, um, and others have returned and have their definitive locations, their positions within the company, um, locked down. I think stability has returned to OpenAI, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing, um, what their next products are. Yeah, I've been told that I should use uh, chat GPT to power like um, comments and stuff like that within hometown because others wow. do it and and I'm being transparent about it. I, I don't see myself able to do this because it seems like it's it's a lie. <laughs> so I would rather have 
an empty site that just provides the articles and people periodically you know, post something um, and not sit there and just pump it full of fluff and everybody think that they're communicating with a human when it's really a bot. I'm looking at you, Reddit. And others. I mean, people do it all the time. Um, I just find it creepy. Anyway, let's keep going. Down the spiral I go. Hey, the next article's over in the continuity report. Only one big budget movie, and that's the key word here. Big. Big budget movie from 2023 has actually turned a profit. I was shocked when I heard this. And I was... That doesn't well, even sound correct, but it may be right about the big budget piece. What do they mean by big budget? So, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is the only big budget movie from 2023 to actually turn a profit. 2023 to me took so long to get to November and then has accelerated from October, November into December because tomorrow is December. Ouch. That I had no idea that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 apparently is a big budget movie in 2023. Is that possible? I didn't even know that was released in 2023. Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe you can look it up. Because <clears throat> I never saw it in the movie theaters. Uh, I've only watched it once it was released to um, streaming service. So... Anyway, many of the major uh, tent poles released this year saw their budgets balloon due to combination of COVID-19 delays and inflation. As a result, a total of 14 movies released in 2023 cost $200 million or more to make, including Fast X, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, The Little Mermaid, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, The Marvels, The Flash, Ant-Man, and The Wasp Quantumania. Was in 2023? Are you kidding me? No, that one was definitely uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie date was or theater date was uh, May 5th, 2023. You're kidding me. That deep too into 2023? It seems like it's been just languishing there forever. Yes. Wow. Because I didn't really, I wasn't really like blown away by Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 except for Rocket's storyline. I thought that part made it the best one of the the yeah. group because yeah, exactly. of, it was such a good backstory and everything. Yeah, it was a it was a great uh, roller coaster, definitely. <clears throat> so, Killers of the Flower Moon, which I haven't seen yet, Transformers: Rise of the Beast, I won't see. Well, I'll probably see it, but not until it's the cheap date. So, uh, let's go over to the source of this, and that's Screen Rant. Adam Bentz put the article together, and I've got the same look on my face. Um, as Star-Lord does here, <laughs> like what only one and here again, the key word here is big budget movie from 2023 has turned a profit. So what's interesting about this is out of all of the movies that we mentioned, apparently none of them have made more than what their budget was, except for guardians of the galaxy volume three, all the rest, Barbie Oppenheimer and others were $150 million or less. So this is so... Oh, so they didn't get included in this category. Well, they they got it. They got included in the sense that 
they made money for right but they weren't a big budget movie okay so here the reason why i chose this article is what the hell 150 million dollars isn't big budget but 200 is i mean i would say it is but it's, i don't know where they draw the line for that <laughs> it seems like this arbitrary whatever Written and directed by James Gunn and marketed as the third and final film in the trilogy, the Marvel movie was budgeted at $250 million and went on to make $845 million at the box office to become the fourth highest grossing film of the year. So why big budget movies are struggling to turn a profit? Um, the fact that only one release in 2023 that cost $200 million or more has actually turned a profit underscores how big budget movies are beginning to struggle in the modern theatrical landscape. This brings me back to what I said um, over, I don't know how many episodes I've said this now. People don't really care about it being big budget if the story is rich and engrossing. People will spend. They'll go and see it. They'll go and see it again. Um, the three highest grossing films of 2023, Barbie, the Super Mario Brothers movie, and Oppenheimer, each cost under $150 million to make, which it says, which is by no means a small budget, but one that is much more conducive to turning a profit in the modern theatrical landscape. I don't know about much more conducive. There was so much hype around Barbie that people... Oppenheimer, right? Yeah. The Barbenheimer and, thing. Yeah, and Oppenheimer, people were just compelled to go and see. As if anybody didn't know what the ending of Oppenheimer was. Um, the <laughs> exactly. anomaly here is the Super Mario Brothers movie. Like, what the hell? I, I, I just don't get it. So Maybe they here even, you had two generations of people that might want to see it. There you go. That has to be it. The timing is right, right? The younger generation is being brought along because there is already there has been hype already for mario brothers but then the older generation are bringing their kids <clears throat> it's a good way to connect you know um i find it interesting so there isn't much more to this article but you can always go there and suss out some more uh content but um yeah i i don't know to me there was a lot of eh in guardians of the galaxy volume three except for rocket specifically rocket's yeah. story arc um i i found it amazing um like you know there must be dust in my eyes uh because there's no way that i could be sobbing over a fictional rocket or a fictional raccoon a space raccoon <laughs> Who's not even very likable in the other Guardian of the Galaxy movies, yeah. depending on what your view is. But yeah, absolutely unlikable. I, I mean, really, he just seems like an ass. Um, but then, you know, at the end, you're like, oh my god, <laughs> the scene with all of them in the oh my god. Anyway, just thought I'd talk about it for a little bit. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. A California dry farmer's juicy apples show how agriculture can be done with less water. Uh, I like this article. Uh, and so I had to name... I like it because of the title. Um, and so I had to name this segment Juicy Cuisine. <laughs> I want to stamp it on the back of 
sweats, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Juicy couture. And you don't want it to fit on your sweats. <laughs> uh, I just think that it's hilarious, you know? Um, like, a, I want, like, a an apple red pair of sweats and then have juicy cuisine <laughs> written on <laughs> either red or green and then and do the opposite color on like juicy couture you know never mind all right I, it's funny in my head damn it anyway it's over at fizz.org uh ian james from los angeles times put the article together i really want apples I only have like five right now. I only have five apples uh, just outside of, yeah, just outside of hometown is an orchard, but they've stopped operating because winter is coming. And so you can't just you go can and have get one apple a month and then maybe the orchard will be open <laughs> again. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, so it says here leaves rustled. As Mike Sarone, I think that's how they pronounce their last name. Might be Carone, not sure. I reached into a tree and gently picked an apple. The orchard was filled with a profusion of ripe fruit in shades from golden green to pinkish red. Hey, juicy cuisine. Uh, but unlike other uh, crops that guzzle water from canals and wells, this bounty of apples grew in its own without irrigation so how is that it's called dry farming applying little or no water and relying on rainfall and moisture stored in the ground this is how farming has long been done in sea canyon near san luis obispo where the orchard spread out beside a creek at the foot of a steep ridge shaded by oak trees Saron has been farming here for 40 years perfecting his growing techniques and cultivating dozens of varieties of apples so it's being done right because it isn't being forced. This is nature promoting nature. Exactly. This is a good climate or whatever for this crop. Right. And it's working instead of fighting the environment and then yeah. using more resources. Yep. Uh, yet that's not what's happening everywhere. In many places, we're talking about high desert and they're still mechanically watering crops that would have died out naturally because the weather and the and nature isn't conducive to that crop but when it, everything is done right then this is what you end up with and it's uh without sounding trite i hope it's not but it's synergistic it is compatible it is nature working with nature so Sarone, who's 64, picks fruit together with his 34-year-old son, Patrick, and one employee. They pack the apples in boxes, load them into a van, and drive them to farmer's markets around San Luis Obispo, as well as the weekly farmer's market in Santa Monica, where they, their stand is popular and busy. Well, of course. So it says it's a naturally wet place. It rains. Uh, it's so cool out here. The clouds come in, and it's misty, and it all soaks in. The forested ridges catch rain. The water percolates into the canyon's alluvial soil. Again, it's nature. It's meant to be this way. If you force it, then you dry out everything. The water table gets drained. The ground actually starts to sink. Everybody around the drained water table starts to suffer. Communities that were part and parcel to nature and it was 
subsistence farming. Uh, they have to move, they sell their land for cheap and the mega corporation buys it all as scrap metal and continues basically destroying the land for their commercial and a big billion dollar commercial enterprise. Yeah, some people argue with me about this all the time, but essentially we have to do what's right with nature in alignment with nature where we can short circuit nature. It needs to be biologically compatible with it and not in spite of it. Right? So, <laughs> you know, don't, don't grow a warm crop up in, in, uh, the mountains of Wyoming. Why? Because you're going to have to melt snow. <laughs> so this is the equivalent of it. You're down in a desert somewhere. It's dry as hell. Literally the water is boiling away yet. You're still sprinkling stuff constantly, but these people are doing it right. Dryland farming has long history in the arid West, including among indigenous peoples, such as the Hopi. Um, who today carry on their ancient traditions of growing corn, beans, squash, and relying on the rain. Settlers in California also dry farmed, but in the 20th century, growers began relying heavily on irrigation, which boosted crop yields. This is the problem. We need a lot of regional subsistence farmers capable of going beyond just pure subsistence and supporting their local communities. Will it be more expensive? No, not necessarily because the community will be able to support those people as farmers providing to the local economy. The only way that this is not compatible with society is when you have a massive profit motive because there are investors that are demanding 20% profit quarter after quarter after quarter, which is not sustainable. So we used to you do uh, more of it in California. Sarone said, I think sometimes you have to go and look back and go, maybe things were better back then. Yeah. In many cases they are. When I've brought this up to people, I get told, but it was different times and uh, people, the, the cost of living was lower and people died at a younger age and all of this other stuff. It doesn't have to be that way. We have tech that, makes it possible to make life better and still be biologically compatible with nature and society. Well, and also if we're so resource constrained, this we're makes sense. Well. You know, sometimes, yeah. well, sometimes older methods are, are better. Yeah, I agree. So the Canyon got 61 inches of rain this year. One of the wettest Saron has seen. Saron said he's concerned about the, how human caused climate change is unleashing more extreme weather uh, swings. And that might mean for the future for now, though, he sees all the rain as a blessing along with cold conditions that filled the orchard with a massive bloom of white and pink blossoms. So they're going to have a huge crop, which I think is great. Now we have the opposite because it isn't, Regional climate is not climate change. The plurality of regional shifts, that's climate change. So here in this instance, you have a bunch of farmers that are going, Hey, we're finally getting some rain, but over in Ireland where it used to be okay, levels of rain, 
they've been flooded and it's destroyed their potato crops entirely because there's so much rain after drought that it's just sitting there soaking in the top few inches and now everything is ruined. Sarum grows 60 varieties of apples. At the peak of the harvest in October, he can have up to 25 different kinds laid out in crates at his stand. I won't go into all of the names and whatnot. Um, you can go over and read the rest of this article, uh, but essentially we should all be promoting this type of farming where it's biocompatible with nature and we aren't short-circuiting nature to try and get a profit crop. Essentially, return to farming properly. Let's keep going. So this next article is over in the Mobile channel. And if you are new to this, then uh, when I say that this is over in the channel here or channel there, I've got six main categories and then inside that are 50 sub channels. Each one of those have a niche topic and um, information gets fed into them regularly all day long um, without me manually doing anything. But if you are interested in submitting an article or a source for material, you can send an email to mayor at hometown.com or you can sign in and under this, um, once you're signed in, you'll have the ability to submit citizen news. You can't do it without being a citizen of hometown. Um, so that is seen as a, a, a right of a citizen, um, but that can actually don't spam. Otherwise I'll have to take that away. Um, not from everybody, just the spammer um, along with their account. So there are rules and regulations. Oh, look, and we have all of them spelled out here now. So all of that has material that you can go and check out. Anyway, um, back to the article over in the mobile channel. After 50 years, U.S. to return to the moon on January 25th. How soon do you think that they'll find aliens that are piloting around? <laughs> um. Who knows? Uh, how do I answer this? Uh, <laughs> More than 50 years after the last Apollo mission, the United States will try once again to land a craft on the moon January 25th, said the head of what could be the first private company to successfully touch down on the lunar surface. Pardon me. Sorry, I had to sniff and I didn't want to do it. And then now I'm describing it anyway. Um, the article is over at fizz.org. The lander named Peregrine uh, will have no one on board. It was developed by American company Astrobotic, whose CEO John Thornton said it will carry NASA instruments to study the lunar environment in anticipation of NASA's Artemis manned missions. Several years ago, NASA opted to commission U.S. companies to send scientific experiments and technologies to the moon, a program called CLPS, C-L-P-S. Um, these fixed price contracts should make it possible to develop a lunar economy and provide transport services at a lower cost. So they're going to be dropping a bunch of resources down there. I, I cannot wait until we start the process of actually building a moon base. Um, honestly, I think what's going to end That's up happening. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I love the idea of it. Um, 
but uh, I love a good conspiracy. So I keep thinking they're going to go there and, and uh, like drive around the neighborhood and they're going to find something that everybody's like, Oh, maybe we shouldn't be here. <laughs> There's going to be an alien with a, like a, a, a pizza oven. And uh, they're just going to be like, Oh, what are you doing here? Oh, right. I feel like there's something else like that. I can't think of what it is, right? And then you're like, oh, wait, I'm not a guest. (laughs) (laughs) One of the big challenges of what we're attempting here is attempting a launch and landing on the surface moon for a fraction of what others, uh, what would otherwise cost. This is such a broken sentence from Thornton uh, that I, I have a hard time saying it. Anyway, Wednesday at a uh, press briefing at his company's base in in Pittsburgh. I think this was written by an alien. Um, <laughs> only about half of the missions that have gone to the surface of the moon have been successful. So it's certainly a daunting challenge. I'm going to be terrified and thrilled all at once at every stage of this. The thing about this is that it was 50 years ago is the last mission to the moon. So standing on the shoulders of those giants is kind of easy mode now. I mean, I understand in the grand scheme of the art, this isn't going to be as difficult as it was back then. We've got 50 years of hard science that have now made it so that we can land something. And 50 years in science is a long time. Yeah, I agree. So um, takeoff is scheduled for December 24th from Florida aboard the inaugural flight of the new rocket from the ULA industrial group named Vulcan Centaur. The probe will then take a few days to reach lunar orbit, but we'll have to wait until January 25th before attempting landing. So that light conditions at the target location are right, Thornton said. Uh, The descent will be carried out autonomously without human intervention. Um, but will be monitored from the company's control center. Hmm. Do you think it'll lose track of where it's supposed to go because the GPS system isn't in place? Well, yeah, they haven't figured out the GPS yet, so it might go to Mars or something. Yeah, see, it ramps up your audio again. I don't understand. You're fine. Um, in addition to Astrobotic, NASA has signed contracts with other companies such as Firefly, Aerospace, Draper and intuitive machines. The latter is to, uh, is due to take off aboard a SpaceX rocket in January. So, uh, this is actually leading to a lot of people kind of freaking out by the way, uh, scientists, um, astronomers in particular are getting a little bent out of shape that we're sending stuff up so frequently that it's punching holes in our atmosphere. And I did uh, see that separate article about that. What if it's just the simulation trying to slow us down before we find out that it's a simulation? Hmm. I guess you'll just have to go on one of these missions and see it for yourself. Maybe yeah, you can I mean, do a live stream or something. I mean, it's not that it isn't happening, right? It, the simulation is allowing us to go into space, but hmm. If we're punching holes in the atmosphere and it's causing humanity great harm because we're doing it, suddenly 
then uh, the simulation is being programmed so that it slows us down from getting into space and moving on. Look at that. Wow. You have um, three hours to complete your NaNoWriMo. <laughs> <laughs> and go. <laughs> <laughs> 50,000 words. Go. Let's keep going. In fact, to the moon. So the next article is over in Technology Today. Uh, H2. Um, uh, um, so uh, it's like uh, molecular. Hydrogen or uh, molecular hydrogen. Um, atomic hydrogen is just H. Molecular hydrogen is H2. So uh, hydrogen or H2, this particular H2 plays an important role in renewable energy system to secure electricity generation. New and existing power plants must therefore be ready for H2 operation. However, the conversion and new construction of power plants uh, that can be operated with a 100% hydrogen poses challenges. In addition, H2 readiness is not yet clearly defined in regulatory terms. Um, these are the findings of scientists at the Rainier Lemoyne Institute, RLI. So, ta-da, let's go up here. Um, this is over at Tech Explorer. Again, I always kind of warn people about this because, wait, let me back up and throw this into the chat. I didn't do it. Doink. Um, so, uh, Timo Bear uh, from Rainier Lemoyne Institute, uh, and then it has a little G, GmbH. So I don't know. This must be uh, Germany. Um, so anyway, um, Tech Explorer kind of gets into the scientific weeds. And so I, I don't know how much um, I'll be able to explain if I need to explain something, because sometimes it goes like way over my head. By the um, way, that's a fashion label in Germany, but I'm assuming that's not. Oh, it's also a company with limited liability. Correct. That's the. That makes more sense. <laughs> the GmbH is the typical one that I see, but I don't know what the G GmbH is. Um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, in a recent study, researchers show that H2 readiness for gas-fired power plants means in technical terms, what measures are necessary for a conversion, um, what costs are incurred and uh, legal provisions that need to be adapted in 14 key statements. They formulate proposals for the climate friendly use of H2. So um, H is just uh, the uh, one electron and uh, proton. And when it's molecular, then it's two that are linked together. By the way, the G GmbH is actually a nonprofit LLC. Oh, there you go. Thanks. Now I know. Um, I guess I never see nonprofit. Exactly. Huh. Fascinating. So, I mean, we have our own 501c3 kind of things and, uh, but Typically, we see LLC, and they have a designation for nonprofit here, too. Anyway, um, in the future, hydrogen power plants will provide energy when electricity from renewable energies is not available for a longer period of time. However, gas turbines for 100% hydrogen use in larger power plants 
are not yet commercially available. So-called H2 ready power plants are intended to contribute to the solution. In its framework for power plant strategy, the German Federal Ministry of Economic Affairs and Climate Protection has announced that it will promote these with a tender uh, volume of 10 gigawatts in the period from 2024 to 2026. This is a further effort to step away from Russian uh, provided uh, oil and uh, LNG, liquid natural gas, um, that has to go through Oh, um, how do we, I wouldn't say West aligned idea, political ideology. And so Germany and European nations tend to be held hostage by the potential to just, if you don't play the game the right way, they can curtail or raise the price, etc. And so they're trying to get to, um, sustainable power generation within Germany. Um, so as the study shows, there is currently no legally established definition of what H2 ready means for power plants. This makes the planning of such plants more difficult. A clearly defined concept of H2 readiness can provide a reliable framework for the realization of emission free H2 power plants. Cause what you'll get from the emissions of an H2 powered plant is H and water. So, Germany is far more, uh, sorry, far so far only introduced the implicit definition of combined heat and power act. Um, it states that the transition to 100% hydrogen must use the achievable for less than 10% of the power plant's original investment costs. So if it costs more to make a whole new one purpose built, then I guess they have to stop what they're doing. Um, but I find it really interesting and, uh, I hope that we actually move back into hydrogen. It's dramatically more abundant. It is a very good fuel source. Um, it's portable, it's controllable, it's defensible. Um, so ta-da! there's a whole lot more in this because they're talking about larger capacity, even converting over to trailers. Uh, they refer to them as lorry trailers, which here in the States are 18 wheelers trucks um and uh, pretty much anything can be turned into a hydrogen um, power system you just have to do the conversion um and and have the device the infrastructure in place so uh, there are vehicles right now that are hydrogen powered um but you have to go to specialist locations to refill and stuff like that we've talked about right, this because we don't have the infrastructure currently but right. hopefully we can get there i also find it interesting since they don't really know what they're trying to get to mm -hmm. it seems a little difficult to actually achieve it and maybe they could define it and then further refine it for future ones just to have something because i don't see that industry is really going to move toward something if they don't know what they're getting toward yeah and they kind of just threw a number out here 10 gigawatts um but total capacity is way beyond that. Um, so, uh, Germany is one of the countries that's really charging <laughs> into hydrogen power. France is actually looking at nuclear power again. Some other countries are as well. Um, and, uh, uh even the United States is actually, uh, 
starting to reinvestigate nuclear power and but we look at pretty much everything trying to wean ourselves away from oil um, all but pretty much one state so let's just move past that <laughs> the next article is over in the model channel french ski resorts risk becoming hooked on artificial snow do you know the street value of this <laughs> mountain we are hooked on this artificial snowman artificial snowman anyway <laughs> winter hasn't arrived but french ski resorts are already resorting to snow making milder temperatures as a result of climate change this is pretty much apparent and i still can't believe that there are people but there are people that still smoke in the 21st century with all of the knowledge i mean there's people that think that the earth is flat with plenty of information of the contrary i've never wanted to smash my head into a keyboard as much as i do right now to hear the sentient ai tell me what i already knew that there are people out there that are flat earthers but my god <laughs> flat earth flathead anyway uh lucas barard chenu from emmanuel george uh, what how do you pronounce that last one hughes Francois, i can't see it and samuel uh morin from the conversation uh, it's okay um not Wait. that it would have helped if I could have seen it. <laughs> You're a sentient AI. You're supposed to just be able to see the data itself. I'm going to have to look at your code now. Anyway, um, there has been no shortage of criticism of this production method, this manufacturing of snow. 29% of French ski slopes um, area equipped with snowmaking machines such as snow propeller cannons or snow lances. Snow is manufactured by spraying micro droplets of water in a cold atmosphere, which solidify before they hit the ground and the consistency is close to that of compacted snow. If I'm not mistaken in the US, don't they tout that they've got the snow makers? Yeah, snow makers and groomed uh, uh, slopes and all of right. that. Yeah. But it, they're using water, and so <laughs> it's not necessarily a good. It's not a good thing. Um, but uh, skiers got to ski, and if they're going to be using, because you're not using salt water, you're using fresh potable water. It isn't gray water but because you don't. Wanna... We don't have enough fresh water, right? Exactly. So um, again, there's been no criticism. Uh, no shortage of criticism of this production method, which started to be aired in the mid 2000s aired. Oh, that's funny. Um, in September 2023, the mayor of La uh, what is it? Clouses? I don't know. The commune to the west of Chamonix, 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 I don't know. I feel like the village idiot. Uh, when it comes to some pronunciations because i haven't heard it and if i if i hear it once then i remember and i can I keep it in mind but even like anyway i'm belaboring it i'll just keep going 
uh, they decided to suspend the construction of a reservoir that would have, would have largely supplied water for snow manufacture following years of opposition from environmental organizations. As the climate crisis worsens, the suitability of this adaptive technology is likely to inspire more debate. Well, <laughs> climate change is going to have an adverse effect on uh not only the hills, but you're going to need more and more and more water. If the temperature keeps on climbing, there is zero reason to suspect that it's going to stall and suddenly start declining in temperature again. Right. Meanwhile, you're going to need more water for everyday operations, agriculture, everything, uh, everything. So yeah. it's going to be exacerbated. Yeah. And there's going to be less fresh water because it isn't in the same regions because of climate change has shifted things around. Like I, we just got dis done discussing, there's ample water right now in Ireland, but it's actually an adverse condition this time of year. There are other people that are saying that, for instance, it's really, really hot in Italy and Greece and it's destroying their crops because it's supposed to be cold. Now is the winter freeze over where everything just goes dormant for a while and and recovers for the grow season on the other side of winter. Um, and then California, there are they are pumping water out of the ground because it's so hot um, that there isn't any water in the air. So then they use misters and the environment just evaporates. But some of the trees get some water, so I guess that's good. So this is just kind of the opposite. It's freezing cold. They're uh, holding on to water. I don't know how they're trapping it. They may just be getting runoff, but the natural runoff is supposed to reach some other destination. It's not supposed to be captured and held in tanks so that it can be sprayed onto the mountainside as ice. So there, there are some serious side effects of this. It could be drying out the entirety of the bottom side of the, the mountain. Um, increasing fire risk and whatever else. Um, so it says a, a, a classic path dependence. We show in our research that snowmaking has driven the winter sports industry down to down an unquestionable path dependence. Prior choices of investing in this technology and the increases in snow cover achieved in the past encourage continued spending, starving other activities of resources, whether economic or natural like water supply that's what i just got done saying so if i keep on scrolling i could probably write this article um ultimately snowmaking secures a tourism offer for france within the mature and competitive european ski market generating snow helps me retain france's market share the third biggest in the world for winter sports behind the u.s and austria with 50 million ski days uh, a year and 27% of international ski tourists. So, wow, that's I don't know hard. how you get 50 million days out of a year, but <laughs> you want me to explain it? No, I uh, was being silly. All right. So an estimated 10% of French people take part in winter sports each year, corresponding to 7% of domestic visitors overnight stays in metropolitan France. So this is entirely an economic um, process that's driving this, but it's going to have an adverse effect on nature. The climate is going to get worse potentially, um, but it's negatively impacting all downline, um, 
uh, geography, society, uh, crops that might be there, land needs it for uh, keeping trees. Animals. Yeah. Um, if a fire breaks out because all this water has been uh, kept up on top of the mountain, the fire will run around where the snow isn't. Um, but hey. Hey, forget that dry farming. They got that. <laughs> They got that money. Or maybe, no, do that dry farming. Do that dry farming, yeah. So they say it's a vicious circle uh, that forms. The bias toward investment in snowmaking equipment captures resources which could be used to start the ball rolling toward eventual transition. This requires coordinated economic and institutional response. It may be that the state has a role to play now, but everybody says the state needs to stay away, you know. Yeah, it's okay. We can't have somebody looking out for everybody. That would that would not be okay. Yeah, public risk, private profit. That's how it works. Um, I, I heard it really, uh, something really interesting because uh, what was the phrase? I think it was like on Reddit or somewhere, um, but it was a comment that was from social media where they said $2 trillion given to various companies, okay but $2 trillion to wipe out student debt, bad. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? So like if $2 trillion were given to private companies, it would be pocketed by the wealthy, not doled out because we saw that. Um, and while yes, that money ends up in the system, all it has done so far is increase um, the costs to people who are already burdened by life's costs, but instead it increased the wage gap, etc. But instead it could have been given to uh, $2 trillion could have paid off student loan debt. And then the buying power of all of those people who are no longer burdened by their education, who were actually losing their jobs because of the dynamics of big business and not able to support paying those burdens. Right. A lot of heartless people will sit there and go, well, they picked their battle. No, none of the people who pursued an, an education with uh, student loans said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to burden myself with 10 to 15 years worth of student loan debt just so that I can lose my job because somebody needed bigger profit margins. You know, how asinine is that? Nobody. Nobody in the right mind should be saying that kind of stuff. You know, well, you picked your battle. No, just walk away. Anyway, has nothing to do with this article, but that's how it works. Associative thinking folks. That's how it works. Let's just keep going. Got a couple more articles. <sighs> the next article is over in late night geeks. This small French company wants to build the open alternative to Kindle and Kobo. I thought that this was going to be books, but it's not. I thought it was too. So let's just go straight on over. Uh, I think this person's name is Romaine Delay um, or Dillet. I'm not sure. Anyway, this small French company wants to build the open alternative to Kindle and Kobo. And it's a techcrunch.com article. 
And it says here, for the past decade, three companies have been building full-fledged ebook ecosystems with their devices, apps, and digital bookstores all working perfectly together. Amazon, uh, Rakuten, and a tiny company called Vivlio. I've never even heard of Vivlio. Rakuten, I thought was a completely different concept of company. Um, Amazon, I know, deals with books. Um, and their whole Kindle app, anyway, I won't go into the history of that, but while Amazon's Kindle is a clear leader and Rakuten's Kobo, the obvious challenger, Vivlio has been building an open European alternative to these two tech giants, and it proves that you can compete with tech giants with a team of 35 as long as you have a distinct strategy with different goals. Well, my problem is the publishers have to buy into your ideo ideological bend. If you're open, who's making money? Where's the profit motive? Right, and the appeal of platforms like the Kindle are that there are gazillions of books available. Right. So Vivlio was incorporated in 2011 after uh, Kobo released its first ebook reader. At first, Vivlio was a side project for uh, Deceiter, I guess. Uh, yeah, um, a bookstore chain from the Lyon area. Um, just like Barnes and Noble in the U.S., Deceiter wanted to start selling ebooks so that it would address all your reading needs. I don't know if Barnes and Noble is really going to be the go-to example. What's going on with Barnes and Noble today here in the states? Isn't it pretty much vanished? No, it's still around. It's the only brick-and-mortar bookstore of any size. Right. right, but it's like puckering anyway. Um, so turning books, bookshops into ebook sellers. Bookshops existed long before the inception of Amazon. Oh, look, it's nine thirteen. No shit news. Um, but Amazon didn't partner with existing bookstores to develop to deliver books to your home. While Amazon has managed to capture a large uh, market share of book sales, bookshops still exist. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, so from the very beginning, Vivlio bet that the book industry would remain fragmented. Building yet another Amazon wouldn't be a winning move. Vivlio signed a handful of partnerships with small and big chain uh, bookstores so that it could run their ebook stores for them. Okay, so it's a proxy. Bookstores still have to have permission to sell ebooks. So the publishers still have to buy into this. How is this getting done? I'm not sure. Huh? Cause there, okay. So a lot of people think that there is this unlimited number of ebooks out there, but that's not how licensing works. Um, <coughs> definitely not from a bookstore either. They just can't keep on selling, selling, selling. They're allowed to distribute a certain number. Um, and they have to report back to the publisher how many they're actually. So it says this book publisher or, but book publishers often require a protection method, a, a DRM digital rights management system um, to make sure that eBooks don't end up on the internet just days after official release. While Amazon, Rakuten, Apple, and Google have all designed their own DRM layer. Most third book uh, party eBook sellers rely on Adobe's DRM system. But Adobe's DRM hasn't evolved 
It's clunky hostile to the end user and Adobe takes a cut on each transaction. So basically kiss my ass. I'm not using Adobe's anything. So I'm bowing out of this immediately. Um, the only place that I want is Amazon because it is the uh, least friction bound uh, ebook reader that I've uh, used <laughs> ever. Um, okay, but this does not use Adobe. Right. No, no, no. That, that's not really what I'm saying. Um, now, if you're going to use something, if you and all of the publishers are going to require DRM, it had better be easier to consume than Amazon. That's the really right. go to. Um, I And while I'm a big fan of Apple, I don't use anything Apple in terms of books unless I can't find it somewhere else. Um, so adding ebook systems uh, readers to the ecosystem, Vivilio partners with Pocketbook for its ebook readers. But these devices aren't just rebranded Pocketbook devices as the company adds a software layer so that they work with the entire Vivlio ecosystem. Hmm. It seems like things are really stacked. You know, a whole bunch of things. This isn't as open as it's being purported to be. Right? So even if they do claim that they're open, the reality is they're inside the middle of a massive array of walled gardens. So right. they're a walled garden as well. You know, an open ebook system would be, I can go to any of these platforms and download their books and it's frictionless, but a company like books, by the way, where it is basically an Android device with an e-paper, it's a e-paper device that's powered by Android. I can download, um, things like the Kindle reader on it. So that's kind of what this has to be because you can't reach into anybody else's store without having their app. But this looks like it's something that they're their own bookstore. They're licensing books or purchasing books by proxy through Pocketbook. It's weird, right? It says it's a neutral player, though. I can't quite figure out what it is, though. Yeah, because they throw so many things at us. Biblio positions itself as a neutral player in an ebook industry, while Cultura uh, is now the main shareholder. It still has a handful of minority shareholders from the industry. For instance, Divibib is a recent addition on Vivlio's capitalization uh, capitalization table. Uh, and but they're they're not talking about big case, little case. They're talking about the money. Um, this thing is word soup, investor soup. I would, I'd be afraid to mess with this because there's so many pieces playing around in here. As soon as one gets acquired by a competitor, this place is done. So it says Vivlio is well aware that it is never going to be as big as Amazon or Rakuten. Uh, but the company estimates that it has hundreds of thousands of active users. It's not a huge number, but they are only 35 people working for the company. Yeah, I'd be afraid. Amazon could scoop this up so fast and just disappear this reader. 
even though it doesn't seem like it's going to be a threat to anybody. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting I competitor. I can't tell which direction it's really going. Right. It just seems like it's a hodgepodge of a bunch of companies. And then there's a, a reader. <laughs> interesting. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Vertically farmed greens taste as good as organic ones. Yes, we know this. Why? Because we do it. <laughs> Consumer skepticism. Let me back that up a little bit. Consumer skepticism about the taste of vertically farmed greens is widespread. Just a little word of advice, folks. Your perception of vertically farmed greens being different than organic. And by organic, you mean what now? Non-regulated. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I, I guess a lot of people think that organic means that it's free of this or it's grown out in a field in a, in a proper manner. But if it's grown out in a field and they're using pesticides, probably not natural pesticides, it's insect driven, beaten down by nature, etc. If there is manure that's used, you have you are about that far away from getting salmonella poisoning uh, with regularity because it has to be cleaned uh, fanatically. Otherwise, you end up with what's going on across the country here in the United States regarding cantaloupe, um, which I actually might have been a victim of. Um, <laughs> uh, and so vertical farms don't use any of that don't need pesticides there are no pests it's almost 100 percent crop recovery there is even the stuff that is considered waste which is basically root material um, you can compost and uh, put it out in a conventional um, field or you can actually recycle it back into your um, vertical farm if you use soil we don't even use soil so Anyway, the consumer skepticism about the taste of vertically farmed greens is widespread, but the first scientific taste test from the University of Copenhagen uh, and uh, Plant Food and Research New Zealand shows that respondents rate greens grown vertically and without soil as just as good as organic ones. Ta-da! So University of Copenhagen um, has this article over at phys.org. Uh, it is in the the VOD and it'll be in the show notes so you can follow it. They say, you know, if you've never had vertically farmed foods, go to a farmer's market and try them. Yeah. It's really that easy. Taste it for yourselves. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, we've done that. And <laughs> to me, I, I like it better um, because I know there were no pesticides. There were no pests. Um, everything was grown in uh, what amounts to a secure compartment. Um, the people who are doing it are usually fanatical about their crop and anything that falls out of line, they don't compromise and go, that's good enough for the market. There's a profit motive, but it isn't extreme. Um, and they're largely not predatory. So it's not like they're going to sit there and, you know, back over a competitor like, you know, a mega farm might do to a competitor out there 
uh, just so that they can get their field. You know, I, I mean, I make it sound like it's all like full contact farming, but mega corporations really don't care about mom and pop shops. They would rather wipe them out and, and remove the competition, you know, price so low that the mom and pop shop can't survive and, and then subsume their property. Anyway, uh, I mean, that's just how business is when your only motive is profit. Even anyway, I, I start spiraling into this conversation that I've had with people and it, it I, I try to express that those conversations with people here in the show, um, but it's never, it doesn't do it justice. I, I need to spend more time talking with people about it anyway bland pale artificial these are just a few of the prejudices uh, that danish consumers have about vertically farmed veggies uh, but plants grown indoors stacked and without soil have the potential to increase food security provide more space for nature and ensure access to leafy greens and herbs year-round with short transport to consumers this is exactly what i say to people this is what we should be doing, but a plurality of them throughout a given geographic region on par with what would be a single farm somewhere else where one wrong move can decimate the entire crop. If we have a bunch of these in given regions, you can just go to the store that is a vertical farm and buy the crop right there in your local community everybody becomes friends it's basically kind of like the the pub system that used to exist all throughout the uk um and those have actually gone away as time has gone on by the way but we should bring them back as vertical farms not pubs but vertical farms um should come and exist planned communities with vertical farms within them Anyway, um, in the first study of its kind, which I find astonishing, researchers from the Department of Food Science investigated whether consumer prejudices hold true. In the study, researchers asked 190 participants to blind taste and rate rocket, which is arugula, baby spinach, pea shoots, basil, and parsley. Basil, that's vertically farmed, by the way, is spectacular. Um, and right, parsley way more flavorful than what you might get at a grocery store. Yep. And if you are lucky enough to actually grow it in your own vertical farm, then you get to enjoy it year round whenever you want to. All you have to do is start growing it again and it pops up every two weeks. So, um, anyway, basil and parsley and, and parsley, uh, you can't get fresher parsley than, you know, in its own 10 by 20 tray. Um, which were all grown organically and compare them with the same veggies grown by way of vertical farming. The results from the study show that the test subjects like vertically farmed products nearly as much as they do organic soil grown, um, grown products. It says it twice. Um, the findings are published in the journal food quality and preference. So in terms of taste, we certainly have no reason to be skeptical. Indeed, the participants, think that the vertically grown plants taste just as good as the ones we consider best, namely organic. Ta-da. Um, it goes into greater detail about this. Food security is the main thing that I talk about um, because I 
If you give the right nutrient mix to your crop in a vertical farm, there is zero chance that you'll be able to tell the difference between a, an organic grown crop and a vertical farm, except for one issue. The vertical farm will have greater consistency of color and zero predation. There will not be a dead leaf. There will not be a little bite taken out of one. You'll have the same yield. <laughs> um, and to me, the, the quality and consistency remains the same year round. I don't have to worry about a low yield from some organic crop somewhere. And I definitely don't have to worry about biological issues, um, namely salmonella. Um, cause that actually comes from manure, um, spread across and, and, and part of the nutrient mix of an organic farm. Vertical farms don't suffer from that. Um, so throughout history, technologies have been invented to, uh, or by humans to put food on the table. Vertical farms are grown under totally controlled conditions, which means that there is enormous food security in relation to attaining the same yield year after year. The latest evaluation of the UN Sustainable Development Goals shows that we need to both accelerate and alter the trajectory of development. Food security, climate action, biodiversity protection are all headed in the wrong direction. Uh, direction it should it says way but direction should be the better term our food system is incredibly central to achieving the sustainable development goals she says she is sarah yeager um the study's lead author i agree with everything that's being said in this article so did you find anything interesting in this that you wanted to talk about no i just this was submitted because of your interest in vertical farming and we've talked about it on previous episodes um i didn't recall seeing a study about it and obviously it said it was the first kind of its kind yeah i'm gonna have to look at this a little bit deeper um they it's weird they they say the results from the taste test and and then the article ends and the only thing that they say is the researchers divided participants into two groups who rated tastes of vegetables on a scale of one to nine, where one was dislike extremely and nine was like, like extremely. Right. So <laughs> where was like, where was the parsley or whatever? What where, did it rate? where was <laughs> it? Whatever it was. It might be in here. So yeah, the result. So yeah, the, the result was up here. Um, here, I'll even click it. So the, these were the evaluations. Um, tie, 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 vertical wins. Uh, but here it says parsley, organic wins. I can't imagine that. Honestly, I, I, I just can't imagine that. Um, even this where it says basil 5.9 for vertically grown and, and 6.4 for organically grown. Uh, I'm astonished. It, what I would want to do is find out what the make the nutrient makeup is of this. And if the costs were the same or if they were lax, um, because I go to some great extent to make sure that it's a nutrient rich mix, um, on par or better than what would be coming out of the ground. And the reason why you grow organically, um, 
it is largely because it's free. It's outside or it's in a greenhouse. It's covered, but it's still sunlit. Um, and you don't really know the organic mix of your soil. You just have to assume that it's good enough. But vertical grown, I know exactly yeah, what the nutrient mix is. Right. Yeah. And so if I find something is lacking in my soil and the natural surroundings, I know exactly what baby spinach needs in its nutrient mix. And I custom make um, the, the nutrient supply. So yeah, mine would be better than anything organically grown, but my bias is real. Anyway, um, pretty cool. I like this. I want more. I want, I want more research done. 200 people isn't good enough for me. Um, so I would like it to be expanded. Well, and also when it's self-identified in terms of like, what number is it? Some of that's going to be kind of arbitrary and that would be the same regardless of what the result was here. Yeah. So they definitely need to test more people and perhaps other different regions. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Let's go on to the next in our last article for tonight. Um, so the next article is over on hometown daily, Iowa lottery accidentally published the wrong numbers. Can you imagine? Um, interestingly enough though, the volume of this wasn't a lot, so nobody's going to quit their job because they got the wrong. Oh, okay. Well, I um, was thinking somebody might lose their job with the lottery. Yeah. Well, that might be true. So Iowa lottery accidentally published the wrong numbers, but the mistaken quote unquote winners will get to keep their money. So they did the right thing, Iowa. Thank you very much. I'll just jump straight on over to Business Insider, which is the source. Oh, before I do that, let me make sure that I throw this into the chat. There you go. Bink. Um, so Business Insider, Joshua Zitzer is the author. And um, the uh, Iowa Lottery initially reported the wrong winning numbers for Monday's Powerball draw. Powerball. This could have been absolutely disastrous. <laughs> really bad. <laughs> Some people claimed their winnings, mistakenly believing they'd won up to $200. While the numbers were corrected, the temporary winners will get to keep their money, it said. Okay, so that's interesting too, because Powerball is a multi state lottery. Yeah. So, but I don't know how much the states get to control their payouts etc yeah so they posted the wrong numbers um while every other powerball state published the right numbers apparently iowa published the wrong ones but i thought everybody goes to powerball.com that's what i don't understand but they must have had it um like maybe they had a specific website for the iowa lottery yeah they do iowa lottery blog um, so the Iowa lottery accidentally published the wrong winning numbers on Monday's Powerball draw. The mistake was the result of human error, but the lottery added that those temporary winners who'd presented their tickets while the wrong numbers were still alive would be able to hang on to their winnings. But those that uh, waited an extra day are probably out of luck. Yep. You got screwed. I was robbed. So it did not say how many of the almost 4,000 prize winning tickets in Monday's draw were the result of incorrect numbers. Monday. That's right. Powerball added on Monday. Well, wait a minute. 
I have Powerball numbers right here. But the draw, what day? We're on Thursday. Yeah, I know, but the Powerball was drawn on the 29th. Does it do it three days a week? Yeah, it does it three days a week. Oh, I forgot. Wow. They didn't used to. They did it too, and then they added an extra draw. Though. Interesting. So somebody flubbed, put the wrong numbers up. The incorrect results went live at around 12.30 a.m. and remained until roughly 7.30 a.m. Shortly after staffers noticed the error, the lottery procedures mean that two people in different locations both enter the results from the draw before they are officially recorded on the statewide gaming system. So both of them must have been drunk. And during the process, some numbers were mistakenly entered incorrectly. It shouldn't be a process that can be if two people are supposed to be. How can two people get it wrong in the same way? This is how nuclear weapons get launched. <laughs> exactly. Two people are supposed to turn the, the key, key at the same whatever. time. Yes. <laughs> turn your key, sir. Type in the wrong number, sir. I won't do it. Type in the wrong number, sir. You have to. Yeah, I'm thinking they didn't follow the two-person method here. Rule, yeah. You're supposed to like be. Like one person went over and did something and then ran over to the other location <laughs> or something. Yeah. Go vote for me, too. That kind of thing. All right. Well, anyway, they got to keep their up to $200, Sam. Not that much, you know. Do you, you think, think they it's... would have been as um, cooperative if they hit the Powerball? You know, a billion dollars or something? <laughs> it's like four hundred million right now. Can you imagine? This is coming out of your. Can you pay. imagine as the person seeing the numbers, thinking you'd won however much, and then like, nope. <laughs> this top is coming off. <laughs> Calling your boss at two o'clock in the morning. I'm outie. <laughs> Can you I guess imagine? The lesson here is claim your winnings quickly. Immediately. Yeah. Just stand right out. See, this it would never be allowed. Like if it was the Powerball winning, no, like, it wouldn't. Iowa would Iowa would close its border and declare independence before it paid up. Right, like they'd be banned from the Powerball or something. They're like, nope. They would deny that they even exist. Sorry, we're part of Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa no longer exists. Uh, that would be funny. They're like, new phone, who dis? That kind of thing. <laughs> Too funny. Anyway, that's it, folks. We are done for tonight. Um... Let's go all the way back to the front page. I can't refresh it still because if I want to. Oh, I said I wasn't going to talk about it anymore. Okay, we're done. Look, it even says it down here. State accidentally post wrong. Power I thought that. that was weird. Yes. <laughs> and that's a different article than the one that we're talking about. Hmm. Anyway, that's it. Thank you all very much for uh, coming and hanging out. If you are lurking in chat, thank you very much. If you're listening to this over on YouTube, thank you very much. Before, Be sure to like and subscribe. Download the podcast, please. Leave a five-star review, and, and I will quote whatever it is that you write there, good or bad. Um, if it's too horrendous or, or offensive, I won't say it, um, but I'll thank you for the five-star review. 
Uh, that helps tremendously in terms of the podcast. Liking and subscribing over on YouTube helps tremendously for the YouTube channel. And following us here on Twitch is tremendous for us here on Twitch. We are not affiliate or partner still, um, but we're a one hour a day show. We tend to push it to one and a half hours. Um, and uh, if you have an interest in, in hanging out and chatting about uh, the, the news, uh, we don't talk politics. We don't talk a lot of noise. We give some value add in terms of context and anecdote. And we usually have some experience directly with the materials. Um, come and hang out. Sound good? Cool. So I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the visualizer, the ring of sentience. You want to say bye, oh great AI. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Correct. Well, I mean, unless an asteroid crashes into Earth. Well, we are going to have a cannibal sun eruption today, or tomorrow. Uh, wait, it's a, a CME, right? Coronal mass ejection. Yes. And it's supposed to pass over the slower one. It, there's going to be so much so fast that it's supposed to pass over the slower one that's already hitting, a, hitting us. Oh, that's wow. why they call it a, a cannibal CME. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, the idea about the spaceship. So you launch a spaceship. But because technology advances so fast, by the time your spaceship reaches the destination, we've already launched a superior spacecraft that's <laughs> passing the one you sent 20 years ago. Yeah. So that's what this cannibal CME is going to be. It's going to gobble up the one that's already hitting us. Dun, dun, dun. Beware. And maybe, yeah, maybe all of society. Yeah, that, that dead air is the AI throwing an error message at me like just say goodnight and me looking at the visualizer for the for the uh, sentient AI going I'm having a good time <laughs> <laughs> okay come and hang out tomorrow everybody bye bye mm -hmm.